0: Milk podcast. My name is Dash McIntyre. And my name is Adrian Polk. And today we're going to be talking about Trump's poll numbers. So new poll all the media is talking about today. Uh, Trump is not doing too well. A uh, recent poll uh, talked about in a lot of media has shown that Trump has a 57% disapproval rating uh, while only 38% approve of Trump. Now, this is kind of interesting for a number of reasons. The first one, Uh, Once again, Trump, uh, you know, at the end of his first term almost, um, still hasn't, he's been the only first term president to never be above 50%, which is interesting. And he's kind of closing on two thirds disapproval rating. So what's your take on this? Yeah, it's hard to believe that someone could get reelected pretty close to two thirds disapproval. Because, is it what, 58, you said, or 57%? 57% disapproval, yeah. Yeah, so 66% would be two-thirds of America not approving. Uh, It just seems to suggest, once again, that kind of Joe Biden has just that, like, natural, um, you know, like, just the natural Democratic candidate kind of advantage, Mm -hmm. and... uh, You don't see Joe Biden that often. He's doing events, but he doesn't have the ability to kind of capture the attention of the media like Trump does. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, like, what do you think? Do you think Joe Biden's just kind of coasting to an easy victory landslide right now? Well, at this point, I think the DNC, if I, if I were in charge of the DNC, I would try to make the debate as so much that Trump says he's just going to skip it and not have a debate. You know, if Biden is going to win without doing literally anything in front of TV for anyone, you know, maybe w- what if you try to force Trump to just say, I'm not going to do a debate and then just let Biden Trump all the way through? How do you think uh, they would do that? It would be like reverse psychology where they convince somehow yeah, yeah. In the media messaging to like get him to not want to debate. Yeah. Wouldn't that be kind of tactical um, since people do have a very, you know, this is one side of something I think that would help Biden, you know, never going out in public or maybe the flip side, just his staff giving him some kind of whatever drugs Trump is on, like that speed or Adderall <laughs> yeah. he's taking. Uh, cause you know, a lot of people do have some concern that Biden's mental, uh, faculties to say might be, uh, slipping a little bit, but, um, you know, at this point, I think there are a lot of people and maybe that poll indicates that, that they would literally vote for any potentially competent human other than Trump. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is good for Democrats. Obviously, uh, a landslide would be great if Democrats could have kind of like a rising tide in that landslide and then take the Senate for certain. Um, but it's with be Biden, close. yeah, yeah, the Senate will be close. Although polls are looking up in that regard as well. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of the debate, usually the person losing is the one who most wants the debate, and in mm-hmm. this instance, it seems like the person losing right now and probably in a couple months will be Trump. So (laughs) I can imagine him really wanting to like go in a debate and just say crazy stuff to throw Biden off his game and make Biden slip up or something or accuse, you know, like accuse him of um, being a criminal or accuse Biden of any number of things that, you know, Trump might just blurt out. Well, that'd be well, a funny tactic kind of like anyway, right? Dog. What? <laughs> if Trump is the one who wants the debate, wouldn't that be a funny tactic to goad him into just complaining <laughs> and crying about it on Twitter all the time? Like, what if the Democrats said, we want the first part of the debate to be both candidates talking about their personal tax returns for 2019? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, that is interesting, because the media does put on the debates, whereas it used to be, like, even, like, in the 60s and stuff— like, it would be interesting, like, fo- uh, like political groups that would put on the debates, whereas now it's all, like, the cable news media, which wants to kind of sensationalize things for ratings yeah. and stuff. Oh, for but sure. But it would be amazing. I mean, like, and, and you can tell kind of in the format of the debates, and I always hate this, because the debates, especially, like, in the primaries, which we've already seen, it's a little bit better when there's just two candidates against each other, like, in the general mm-hmm. election debates. But like when you just have when you only have to talk for ninety seconds, and all you have to do if is that. just get through that ninety <laughs> yeah. seconds, yeah. Or or just give up your time before you're done, which you know Biden, <laughs> Biden actually does that a lot. He cuts himself off, self censors when his time is running out in the debate. But like it's just such a terrible medium because like what if Joe Biden refused to uh, go into the debate unless Donald Trump um, agreed? to have no like moderators uh, or like very little moderation. And it's just, instead of having to speak for 60 seconds, 90 seconds on one bite and then move on to the next, with no real cross debate. What if Biden like forced Trump to agree to a debate that um, like they would just have to talk amongst themselves at length, you know, you're, you're not saved by the moderator <laughs> yeah. cutting you off and changing the subject. But like if you had a healthcare debate, um, it would be pretty entertaining to watch Trump explain himself, you know, just to have to ramble on and on and talk in detail about a topic like that. Well, that's another thing. So that's a, that could be another good strategy for Biden. What if they just mandate whoever's putting on the debate that they have a longer form? So instead of like a 90-minute or minute-long uh, response and rebuttal time, what if the Democrats demand that it's a five-minute thing? Because Joe Biden can talk for five minutes, right? Um, You know, he might slip up here and there just as like, uh, you know, old man kind of thinking, but he can talk about these (laughs) issues. But what I almost would like, it's interesting for Joe Biden because Joe Biden literally doesn't have to prove anything to anybody. People, you know, he was vice president under Obama. Obama was very popular. Obama's become more popular since he left office. Even Republicans admit they regret being so anti-Obama. Yeah, I shouldn't well, say all Republicans, Republicans some <laughs> Republicans. Yeah. yeah, I shouldn't say that. But my like, for my point of view, since Biden doesn't have anything to prove, I think like, for example, when they start the foreign policy section of the debate, uh, Biden should just say. Uh, uh, I'm going to start off by saying that, um, I think it was wrong for Trump to betray the Kurds and I'm going to give all the rest of my time to Trump <laughs> to try to explain himself why yeah, he betrayed to defend the Kurds. Yeah, answer, yeah. Yeah, and then just let Trump try to, you know, and that would be an interesting thing too because if, if for some reason Trump, you know, like he didn't do one of the Republican primary debates because he thought they were being unfair or whatever, like what if that was just the conditions that the Democrats, uh, mandate for the debate? Long form you know, three, four, five minute response times discussion and, you know, worst case scenario, Trump says we don't want to do that and then there's no debate and then Biden just coasts all the way to winning. <laughs> yeah, that would be pretty amusing. It is funny just how stupid the debates are because of that kind of like over the top moderating and mm-hmm. intrusive thing. Like, can you imagine like this uh, the Stephen Douglas, Abraham Lincoln debates where like, abraham lincoln would get started on a tangent you know four score and seven years ago we created this country time's up yeah <laughs> stephen <laughs> douglas what's your response yeah <laughs> <laughs> but that yeah that would be interesting uh what else would you like to see joe biden do during this debate like i mean he's doing some events um it is no i think the events are good i think he should limit I mean, the ads are great. I mean, he's got the uh, Lincoln Project making ads, you know, not for him, but, you know, that are benefiting him dramatically. Oh, yeah. Um, here's, here's something I want to point out, too. Um, the, what, what's that group again? The Lincoln Group? Lincoln Project. Yeah, the Lincoln Project is filled with former, Repu- well, I guess some of them still are Republicans. Yeah, but, but a lot them of never-Trumpers. Never Republicans, Yeah. But why is it that Republicans are so much better at, skewer- at skewering Trump and Trumpism and all of his voters and uh, acolytes in the Senate um, why are why are like kind of like nominally former Republicans so much better at politics than Democrats? Like should Joe Biden just give all his campaign money to the uh, <laughs> Lincoln Project because they're the only ones who do these blistering ads that kind of capture the attention of the media? Uh. I mean I don't know. I don't know about giving the money to them but like I think they're they're making enough money on their own but oh, hiring them or something. <laughs> but for your question of why are Republicans better at securing Trump? I think it just it's the kind of people who Democrats like who run as Democrats and then get elected. They're people who really just want to do certain things with the go- <laughs> they want the government to work. They want to work and make life better for other people. I'm not saying a lot of Republicans don't do that, but I think like the amount of People who are in it just for the power on the Republican side. You don't have to look any further than the fact that no single Republican senator but Mitt Romney has a pair of testicles in dealing with Trump. You know what I mean? (laughs) They're terrified. So, like, if all they care about is power and they don't even care, they don't care about the government, they don't care about the people. If they cared about the people, like, why aren't they doing their job of oversight with the, you know, $500 billion going to businesses? Many, you know, a lot of the money, I shouldn't say a lot, but some of the money, you know, we know is going to companies that have only been around for a month or two or three, you know, since COVID started. I mean, it's just going to, like, almost fraudulent companies to, you know, basically just it's corporate welfare, and, you know, I'm sure a lot of them probably support the Republican policies, but it does nothing for the country and does nothing for the people. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, certainly the Republicans aren't doing much to, like, stop the just rampant constitutional abuses on both, like, human rights now with these protests <clears throat> and Trump, like, welcoming police brutality and kind of, you know, arguably a armed, like, insurrection rising up to start a new civil war, you know, in case he loses or something.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's um, weird. The
0: Another issue is just that, um, um, you know, they didn't even want to look for witnesses or talk to witnesses in the impeachment probe. I mean, the, yeah. the House impeached him. You can say it was a political ploy, but like, yeah, it was a political ploy. Uh, ploy. It happened in Congress. So what did you expect? Right. And also there it, were real. Ch- I mean, it's not like they were fake charges. They were real charges of impeachment. Right. That they impeached him for. So the fact that it even talked to anyone, or even John Bolton, is just absurd. Speaking of which, John Bolton says his book's still going to be published in uh, the end of June, and uh, he, you know, and that even he said it's going to be published even if the Trump administration speaks out against it, uh, which is genius. And I hope they do because then more people will read the book. But. Yeah, there's a lot of people wanting to boycott it because he's just clearly cashing in on it. Like, if he really has an opinion, it's going to be juicy and worth reading. Why has he not shared it publicly before, like, in a medium that is not just, like, totally designed to just give him a ton of money and royalties? Yeah, that's true. If you care about your country, you'd have spoken mm-hmm. out before, like, immediately when you got yeah. fired. But I'm And there's, to be clear, there's some efforts that Republicans are doing. Like, Chuck Grassley now, I believe, is holding up, I think, like, Uh, Judges, right? Judge picks. Yeah. Yeah. Because Trump has uh, fired four investigator generals, um, which, you know, props to him for doing something, but he's only doing it now that Trump has fired his fourth kind of watchdog. Yeah. And then on top of that, Trump has uh, not actually formally... nominated people for his cabinet level positions that require um, Mm -hmm. and like top level positions that require senate oversight and uh consent um so he's got a lot of acting uh like positions where the the job's not technically filled but he's filled uh filled it with an interim like acting yeah um authority which you know again it's just this you know why are republicans in congress not more upset that uh, you know Trump is just wo- like just walking all over that check and balance. Of the well, that's an important thing because like why like if you're going to be in Congress, do your freaking job, right? Your job is to appoint people, yeah. and they should be holding the pre like the mm-hmm. president's job is to appoint people and have them be nominated by the Senate. So the fact that we just have people doing these jobs who haven't gone through that process, I mean, it's just. Blatant rule breaking. They—if Obama had done that, they would have complained. So, I mean, yeah. uh, once again, the Republicans—you know—no pair. There's, <laughs> there's one pair of testicles on the Republican side of the Senate out of you know the 53 right. people they have. Yeah, uh, Lisa Murkowski has recently gotten a little more vocal. Um, we but hey, about talk the about the country that, first. It's only when yeah. she's afraid she's going to lose her next election. Well, yeah. But we were talking about that—that that at a certain point, if this, if the polls keep heading in the direction that they are. That in states like Colorado, Maine, Arizona, it might start, you know, being a tempting idea to buck Trump and start criticizing him just for these extremely uh, vulnerable purple state and, like, leaning blue states um, to, you know, to, like, for these Republicans in those states to get reelected, which that would be interesting. Uh, It would be cool to see Trump melt down if you had Susan Collins, Mitt Romney... Maybe Martha McSally in Arizona, but she's kind of been very pro-Trump and is kind of like trying to double down on his voters rather than, like, the, you know, obviously kind of liberal-leaning, independent and Democrats in the states that now kind of at least polls are suggesting are the majority of the state. Uh, But, like, if you had a handful of senators regularly for their own political gain at at their political events and rallies and stuff and making news criticizing Trump, uh, that... At a certain point, it gets into, like, a feedback loop, right? Where Trump's insanity that gets spoken out against by what he perceives should be, like, his loyal acolytes in Congress and stuff, right? So if they start criticizing him, and then he doubles down on his statements and criticizes them and alienates maybe his own supporters in those states of people who, you know, Republicans who would vote for those Republican candidates, uh, it, it would be interesting to see if this feedback loop kind of, like, just... gets trump out of control (laughs) well i I think that could happen and i can't wait for it because um obviously as some republicans see their only potential chance of not going down with the ship and trying to get re-election is going against trump it'll be funny to watch because trump is personally incapable of not criticizing someone who says anything negative about him um i mean you may recall that the republican party was a static that they were hiring James Mattis to be the secretary of defense. And then, you know, what happened this week is Trump called him the most overrated general in the world, which is funny. (laughs) I mean, this is someone like when, when he announced, did he announce it before the 2016 election? I just remember that people were ecstatic it's static that James Mattis would be the secretary yeah. of defense, and now they're probably like drinking the Kool-Aid. Stability. Yeah, they're drinking the Kool-Aid now. That oh yeah, yeah, he he was part of the deep state, even though Obama fired him. Like yeah, that's, and it's hilarious too the idea that Mattis would be like more overrated a general than like some North Korean general who got the job because he told people like Kim Jong Un poops rainbows. And yeah, stuff like that, or the most loyal. Yeah, to the Kim family yeah. for sure. <laughs> right. Um, how confident are you that Democrats might take the Senate? I'm like, to me, it feels kind of like the wave, like the, the blue wave is like maybe starting to crest kind of, it's got kind of like the, um, uh, the, uh, what's the term? And like, the, it seems like the ball is rolling in much of the way that it did seem all of a sudden in 2006, when Democrats took the house due to the kind of like outrages and insanity of the, uh, and the excesses of the George W. Bush administration. Because for a long time, it wasn't really on people's radar. And then all of a sudden, like a couple months out to the election, like uh, the poll, you know, things just started snowballing and Democrats won a massive majority. Well, we'll see what happens. Um, Usually, like, I mean... Trump has alienated a lot of the, you know, people who are never Trumpers, obviously, but the, a big number of the Republican Party, you know, operatives and insiders who, who do the messaging and help the party. So if, what I'm trying to get at is most elections, especially the presidential level, right, but, you know, the month before the election, it starts breaking, whatever it was in the summer or the spring or summer before, it starts breaking closer to 50-50, right? Um, but we'll see because Trump is probably the only presidential candidate who's not has no intention of trying to go for that that 51st you know percentage percentile of voters. Right? It, it seems like he's doubling down on his uh, his base, and he's gonna you know sink or swim with them. Um, and that's why they're going to such great lengths of not allowing people to do mail-in voting. So I mean, we'll see. I mean. It's hard not to imagine this election being, you know, a, a one way, uh, you know, blue wave if in October Trump has still got a 57% disapproval rating. It's hard to imagine people being pulled in the weeks before an election. Um, you have an almost super majority of people who don't like the incumbent. Like, how is that guy going to win? Uh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Because, I mean, it, it definitely seems like Republicans in response are kind of like doubling down and amplifying their efforts to suppress votes. I, think I mean, we'll have, Republicans to see too. Are, we'll have to see, too, that? because, um, you know, there's been over 100,000 people who've died. And, you know, maybe some of them were Republicans who were a little peeved at the government response. And, or and by response I mean epic failure to contain coronavirus and do anything about it um, there's got to be people I mean the stock market's kind of going back but like the economy is not going to be good in the next quarter yeah. most and likely and real quick like the stock market bouncing back is just completely divorced from reality it mm-hmm. makes no sense to believe that the stock market is healthy other than just maybe the rich the super rich are aware of that the economy is on the brink and they're just trying to squeeze out as many pennies as possible and not be the one holding the potato when everything goes, to, when shit hits a fan. Because the the um, the unemployment rate is so, it's like unprecedentedly high for like my lifetime, certainly. Um, well, it's currently worse than money. the, I mean, the Great Recession, unemployment, people were freaking out when it hit like 10%. Um, yeah. And it took like months for Obama's team and the, the economy to bring those right. jobs back. But all of the. Didn't jo- it just come out today that we're officially in a recession?
1: Well, I think you saw a headline
0: that like economists have determined that now. Well, yeah, you can make you can kind of <laughs> forecast and see which way the winds are blowing. But technically, I believe a recession is two separate quarters of negative GDP growth. Now, there's no doubt that this quarter is going to have negative growth. Um, and almost certainly the next one will. But, um, I mean, it really depends on what coronavirus does when cities start well, opening that, up. Well, that definitionally is a recession, then. Because think, think about it this way. Like, we have so many people unemployed and not working. Yeah. The oh, economy for sure. is kind of sputtering. Right now, until, the, until I think it's like July 25th is when the, um, un, the national, uh, like the federal unemployment, which was like $600 or whatever on top of what the states give, which a lot of states don't give much, like that is going to end in July, the end yeah. of July. So if people don't have their jobs and we have another wave of coronavirus, because everybody just has to rush back, uh, get a job, be in public and stuff. Like what do you do then when people don't have money because they blew through their savings and they're the only thing keeping them afloat was unemployment and then maybe they still can't go to back go back to work or maybe they lose their jobs completely because like all these restaurants and uh, maybe movie theaters and insert any kind of uh, uh, discretionary pathway. Yeah, like any any kind of job that can't come back because they just spent too many months out. Like, you know, like all these restaurants, right? You can even if even if everything opens up but people are still afraid to go out because COVID is still out there. And like restaurants, you know, if they're barely surviving with like, you know, three fourths or full capacity on busy nights and stuff, what are you gonna do when in the best of a second wave or just this kind of like sputtering economy that like at best you can get like one third or maybe one half of your restaurant uh filled to capacity like on busy nights like you can't pay rent you can't have all the workers you know it's like what are well, you gonna one do you want maybe you own loans and stuff and you just can't pay it back and you're not making enough money to make a profit well we'll have to see right because a lot of businesses have gotten money from the government and a lot of the loans businesses have gotten stipulate that you can't fire workers so in in, in theory And the economy opens up, and there are a lot of states opening up more and more, and we'll see what happens at the end of June. But I mean, if we go into July with um, COVID pandemic quarantines kind of ending, like I have a hunch that Americans are probably in a large degree going to go back to living their life before, like going to restaurants, you know, taking Uber Eats and stuff, getting like, uh, you know, food delivered to them. I don't think that's going to change. Um, What I do think one of the biggest problems for the economy as far as GDP goes is I think discretionary spending is going to go down for for possibly a number of reasons. And I think one of them is just if anyone comes out of COVID and they went through some of their savings or all of their savings, I think you're going to see a lot of Americans saving more money to either to save for the future uh, because they didn't have any savings before COVID, and Or you're gonna see people saving because they're trying to get back their level of savings they had before COVID when they had to go into it a little bit, right? So I think maybe well, I don't I know think, if I necessarily well, no. well what I was gonna say is Americans I think Americans are just gonna be all the like so economically frugal and start making great decisions. Well, we'll see, but like I think I mean, the number of people who buy a new phone this year is probably gonna go down, right? Uh, yeah. The people who go on vacations probably going to go down um so i mean that's two big industries like tech right you're probably not going to buy a big tv this year if you're planning on it um you know car sales are still you know down but they weren't hurt as bad so i mean people i mean the economy is still moving right i think what we're going to see is a really weird kind of like it'll be like if someone like hit the economy with a baseball bat and, like, some of it's still okay, but then you have a big dent in certain industries. And I think we're going to see some of that. Because, I mean, you can't deny that a lot of the indexes going up right now are because there are companies like Target, Walmart... And uh, Amazon that are legitimately making more money, right? So their stock price going up makes sense. Whereas maybe a company like Apple, them going back to their pre-COVID highs, little harder to imagine that people are going to buy a 2000 $3,000 computer this year. Or you know, buy a new iPhone in the second half of this year. So I mean, we'll have to just see what it works. But I don't, I don't think Americans are going to drastically change their lifestyle after this is all said and done. With I think, I mean, the amount of people who've bought food and ordered it uh, from restaurants, especially local restaurants, just to support them during COVID. I mean, I don't think people are going to stop doing that. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. A little bit. It's kind of a wait and see. Yeah. But um, if things really go bad, though, uh, Trump's kind of like real only hope for this election is the is, economy. Is kind of, yeah, it's the idea that he got the economy up once and he can do it again. Even though if you look at a map and you look at 2009 when Obama took over, it's basically a 45 degree angle that did not change its trajectory very much at all <laughs> when Trump took over. Yeah. Uh, well, the funny thing about Trump is that if you really care about the economy, like the economy, not just the stock market, although the stock market definitely falls in this category, but think of the amount of times Trump has tweeted something and the entire American stock market, and I'm talking like all the big indexes, plummet 1%, 2 or 3% just because Trump tweeted something like about the trade deal, right? Uh, right. So, if I mean, there was that point in... December going into January, so December twenty eighteen, January twenty nineteen. You know when the, the it, it appeared as though the um, um, trade deal with China was faltering, and we had quite a bit of a correction, right? Like right. it was an you had a lot of stocks going down 20 percent just because of a couple of tweets that Trump had done and the his failure to make you know he, he came in saying I make the best deals, but he's really <laughs> failed to make any good deals with China, yeah. right? And now, I mean, this is the funny thing, is like Trump talks about making deals. We're at the end of his term. I mean, trade deals, you know, as we've said before, take a long time to make, but they don't take four years to make, right? So Trump has completely failed in that regard. There's really no time. It's bad scheduling. It's bad strategizing to be a president and not like plan ahead and kind of time things to – really find success, like, at the end of four years as you're going for re-election. Well, that's another degree of com- incompetence, because now, I mean, even if you wanted to make a deal right now, what country, especially, like, you know, since Trump has called a bunch of the developing world shithole countries, he's, he's tried to, you know, say we need to screw over China, he says we don't like NATO, and, you know, Europe can suck it, all that stuff, like, what country is going to make a deal with Trump between now and the election, if they think like, well, you know, he might lose and we'll just deal with Biden, you know, a rational human being in uh, January. Yeah, on the other hand, though, it's kind of like a recipe to like sacrifice national security and economic uh, profitability, because if Trump is desperate for a deal to have a have an accomplishment to point to for the election, you know, he might just agree to anything. Yeah, like, that's he, true. He kind <laughs> of agrees to anything Kim Jong-un wants when he's meeting him in person or whatever. But going back to the stock thing, I want to point this out that it's that we need to change something about. I don't know. I don't know what you could do legally, but at the very least, like we need to stop electing presidents that are just wild blowhards, because it's preposterous to think that we could elect a president that basically just installs an oligarchy that gets rich based on him manipulating the market. So, yeah. You know, like the way Trump will just lie about a Chinese deal breakthrough or whatever to get mm-hmm. the stock market up. Like, you're just inviting an oligarchy to just start profiting handsomely off of, like, essentially insider trading of the president, like, in this case, Trump, going to Mar a Lago and telling and his telling rich friends me, yeah. what he's about to do or say <laughs> so that Monday morning they're ready to, like, go all in on a certain stock, you know? That, I mean, that, we'll see what that happens after the election. I mean, the Democrats get control of the department of justice and all the other uh, parts Mm -hmm. of the executive federal government. And like, what are they going to see the memos that they're going to read the ongoing deals? Like, especially in the justice department, like imagine the Flynn case, right? So the Flynn case is ongoing. The department of justice and bill Barr have tremendously fucked it up and made it look, you know, made it a, you know, Trump talked about draining the swamp. The justice department right now is the biggest swamp in American history. And so what happens if the You know, Flynn case isn't fixed by January or solved, and then a Democrat comes in is in charge of it, and all they see are memos going against previous Department of Justice guidance, going against like common legal sense, legal law. Like that's going to be really weird. And I think if Biden wins, we're going to hear a lot of really weird stuff, and especially like with the uh, SEC and uh, you know investigations into literal wrong, you know, economic wrongdoing and in in insider. I mean, there might be some weird stuff that comes out if Biden wins. Oh, I'm sure there will be. Uh, Do you think we should expect for the skies over Washington, D.C. to turn black with burning printed out memos and burning (laughs) computer servers? (laughs) But it's funny because, like... The Trump administration and their people are so dumb they would probably videotape it and put it on Twitter, not even realizing that they're breaking laws. Like you have people like Trump. Like I remember when he first became president and he was talking about doing things and there were Republicans defending him saying, Well, he's he's new to this and it's like, Well, you still have to know the constitution. Like the law. (laughs) Yeah, the law, everything. I was listening to this podcast where some guy was defending Trump and basically saying that Trump means well. But his problem, um, that his ideology is not being served by the people he got appointed, because Trump is not a career politician and doesn't know a lot of people. So that basically, when Trump became president, he filled the administration and like the giant bureaucracy filled with just suggestions and recommendations that the Republican like national party uh, mm-hmm. gave him. So like just people who've been Republicans forever, it's their turn who don't maybe didn't support Trump. Maybe didn't like him, wouldn't have picked him and like didn't vote for him in the primary, we voted for him maybe I guess in the general election just to get the job and to have their party in power. But yeah. they don't really share any of his like ideological beliefs or anything like that. And I just it made me mad because like the idea that Trump is not a career politician and picked all these people who would not justify like his beliefs. It's like, well that's that's textbook incompetence. That's yeah. textbook bad leadership, that's textbook rationale for him not being president right you can't just say oh we elected the most powerful person in the world and he got screwed over because he didn't pick the right people who made his agenda work well maybe we shouldn't have picked him if he doesn't know people if he doesn't know politics you know well it's funny because he came in saying he knew the best people he would hire the best yeah, people right. and they would do the most <laughs> amount of good for yeah. america right there's always a boast or a promise or a tweet <laughs> you know for any situation that's hilarious yeah yeah that's so true um And even, I mean, like, right off the bat, even, like, someone like Mattis, like, we talked about a lot of Republicans being happy. Like, what does Trump know about Mattis? Trump, you know, Trump will claim he's so good at military and he's better than, he knows more than all the generals. But, you know, he's he's, like, conspicuously hands off on everything. He's not really saying anything about ISIS or defeating them or plans. Like, maybe he'll, like, the only things he's really, like, noticeably done in my mind is just, like, kind of, uh, um incompetent shows of force that net us nothing. Like that bombing in um, in um Syria of that airport where like the Russians gave the Syrians <laughs> advance warning. And all we did was just waste a lot of money blowing up bombs that, you know, the airport road got fixed like later that day or week yeah. or whatever. And then like, you know, you could talk about uh blowing up that, didn't he blow up that Moab like very early, the mother of all bombs in Afghanistan or something uh-huh. or so, where, like a giant you know parcel of land that no one in america can point to on a map so like a lot of the things he has done on the military uh have been kind of like meaningless shows of empty bravado uh, which i guess in some ways is also a nice thing because you know say what you will about trump at least he hasn't actually started a war he's threatened it a lot yeah (laughs) (laughs) a lot of different places around the world but you know to his maybe that's you know, maybe people writing books about what happened after the fact will write about how, like, they personally intervened or stopped or hit a memo or didn't yeah. do some order that he, you know. <laughs> let's let's just say this: What are the odds, do you think, that Trump has issued a nuclear strike, but that some underling did not carry out the order <laughs> or hit it from the military or something? Was like, those... like like thirty percent likelihood that that's happened? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> close yeah. to fifty. What do you think? <laughs> Well, he almost got us into a war, like uh, with the killing of Suleiman, right? The general, yeah. Iranian general, Iran. uh, Suleimani. Yeah. Um, I mean, the fact that that literally could have blown into a war and blown into something out of control, I mean, in this case, really says more about Iran's leadership than Trump's, right? Yeah. He did something that no one recommended. It was one of those. Like, you know, when you're asked, well, what could we do? It was a hypothetical that no one thought he would have picked. And then he picked it and wouldn't let anyone tell, you know, convince him otherwise. And then, you know, he wanted to look tough, but it didn't even make any sense. Right. The, the entire thing was just like a like you said, a, you know, a, a proverbial show of force to make him look strong. And the funny thing is, like, right. they, they lie about everything. And like Trump's uh, uh, complete concern with always looking tough i mean it just makes him look like a fool like the whole going yeah. down to the bunker uh being right. tough on and order. oh yeah i mean Repent i love it that he's be tough yeah yeah he's and probably they always got that gu- fence all around our white house yeah, like the presidents. Exactly. you know what's well, funny just, is the the uh, pod save america guys had a good quote they were saying that like with all things trump it's like one step forward into like tyrannical dictatorship two steps back into, like, clownish, incompetent lunacy, you know? Yeah. One step forward, oppressive, two steps back, stupid. And that that really stuck with me, because it's so true. We're, like, lucky that he's an idiot. We're obviously unlucky that, like, he, he, you know, kind of his, like, baseline instinct is to be a dictator and want to, like, literally brutally suppress any form of uh, criticism or... Uh, like obstinacy from the government or the people um, well, well then they like they uh, end up uh lying about everything too it's just like him going yeah. down to the bunker they later tried to say it was an inspection as if <laughs> yeah. it's like oh yeah trump you were inspecting that were you doing some yeah. maintenance down there <laughs> right. too were you trying to flip <laughs> were you trying to change the light bulbs make sure everything's good like it makes no why would you even lie characters. about that Right. <laughs> well, he has to. And then I think, uh, what was it? Like the uh, the religious guy, what's his name? I think Franklin Graham came out and like showed support. So, I mean, like, here's here's something that I want to Like, I, I wish there would be some record of all of these phone calls Trump is making mm-hmm. during his executive hours or at night when he's like laying in bed, catching up on Fox News and stuff. Like, you know, people are saying like people like Russian media will say that like Trump called Putin and then, mm-hmm. you know, Trump is the one who called and not vice versa, being mm-hmm. clear about that. And it's just, uh, who knows what we have, you know, what we're unaware of in terms of what's going on in Trump's phone, like cell phone every night. I mean, f- fuck if I know. <laughs> I look forward to all the books. I mean, I don't want to buy any of them. I might like find out how to like read them for free online somewhere, you know. That's but, courageous of you. <laughs> yeah. But, this like, economy. every time, every time um, like, uh, when, like, uh, Michael Wolff's book, Fire and Fury or whatever, and the Bob mm-hmm. Woodward book that came out, I do find it very, very delightful to see them all, like, belittle each other and talk shit about each other on background, you know? And, like, kind of, like, especially, like, early on, like, the infighting between Jared Kushner and um, Steve Bannon that was so crazy, and mm-hmm. the infighting between Steve Bannon and, like, Reince Priebus... And then the the infighting between the kind of, like, Republican mainstreamers versus the kind of, like, alt-right, you know, say what you will, but neo-fascists that kind of, like, you know, Trump was more their guy than, like, the (laughs) mainstream Republican guy. So Mm -hmm. they kind of got pushed out ultimately or whatever. But obviously Steve Bannon being, you know, so, like, such a high-up advisor was, like, a big... Uh, like, entryway for kind of alt-right, neo-fascist, white supremacist, nationalist ideas to seep into the uh, the policy. And obviously Stephen Miller is another one of those kind of, like, alt-right, um, you know, wannabe neo-fascist and stuff like that. You know, it's easy to use those words, but it's, like, literally true. There's no other way to put it. Like, when you, when you talk about Trump's response to, like, you know, like, firing all these football players who kneel um, and, like, you know, calling them son of a son of bitches and stuff, and it's uh, it's just like it, it's purposefully and militantly divisive in a way that just you know we've never had before, and certainly no democracy should idealize. Well, it's funny because the whole thing, the whole argument's dumb. The fact that you're disrespecting the flag and the country by doing that in my opinion, and I think probably most people would agree, the First Amendment basically says that you can do whatever you want to the flag. You can do whatever you want during the national anthem because that's your right. Like, the flag and the national anthem represent the United States and the United States is a country with a constitution. So like all of these things literally represent your freedom to do whatever you want. Like you don't have to say the pledge of allegiance. Like fuck that. It's your right mm-hmm. not to. You know, you don't have to. You don't have right. to ever have an American flag and if you have one you can burn it. You also have the yeah. right to not burn it. Like you don't have to and say And it's th- annoying too cuz like all these small government types they should love when people mm-hmm. burn the flag and sit down during the pledge of allegiance. Like you want small government, but you at the same time want the government to like literally force you to say, I pledge allegiance to the flag or like, I don't know, go in prison or be fined or kicked off your, you know, fired from your job or whatever. In the case of these football players, (laughs) like how is that small government to say, you must worship this piece of cloth that has stars and stripes on it and symbolically represents our country. You must, you know, you cannot disrespect this under any circumstances. Like that's, That's an absurd (laughs) idea of, like, government overreach and kind of draconian, uh, you know, like, uh, injustice. Well, overreach that you think the same small party, you know, conservative... Or small country, small government conservatives would approve of. But it's just funny because, like, um, if you think about it, um, in so many ways, all these issues are just so stupid anyway, right? Um, It's really not a political issue, per se. Like, yeah... I think the country might be better if everybody did really take pride in the flag and the national anthem, but hey, our country's not great, and I understand it, right? So if you want everyone to take pride in the national anthem, like, maybe do something about police brutality, maybe do something (laughs) where you don't have, like, gross economic inequality and have a political party literally just giving money to the rich, right? And it's funny because, like, it's not just giving money to the rich, you're also taking money from the... Young, right? The federal government uh, is going to have so less money to play with in their discretionary budget than ever before, right? Because all of our money is going to keep going to interest payments on our debt. So, I mean, not only are you stealing from people now, you're literally stealing any ability of americans in the future to do things that they want to do right and isn't that like i mean it's just funny how short-sighted and selfish it all is you know yeah um but know, who knows what can change uh if there's a landslide election it's hard to believe that i've said this many times but it's hard to believe that trump has uh gotten one new net voter like a single <laughs> net voter it just seems like like everything he does he probably loses a hundred or a thousand voters every day right like across the country of our 120 some odd million voters yeah. you know the people who actually vote he's got to be losing like a thousand every day yeah in a right? country of 328 million people like every day if you lose like a thousand voters but you know it'll add up yeah, I kind of thought I honestly thought like last year that Trump might not want to run for re-election. I thought that he might be able to read the room, see the polls, yeah. um, and yeah. that he might like I thought it would be so much better for his ego to just claim, you know what? I've done so much. I'm the most successful president ever. I'm going to quit here and rest my case, you know, blah 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 and just make excuses. But I I legitimately thought like he like why I mean, I guess his idea is just to become, like, a dictator and start having, like, this secret Bill Barr Justice Department police force with no badge numbers or insignia or, like, (laughs) uh, public reason why they're out in the streets, you know, like, armed and ready with, like, riot gear. Mm -hmm. But, like, you know, I guess that's one route he can take, but I don't think it's the best route. And certainly it would be... Better for his ego to not lose the election by a lot and then have to just accuse Democrats of, like, bussing in 10 million Mexicans to come to our cities vote and then go back to Mexico? Like, uh, I believe he did that in 2016. He claimed that, right? Well, that's one of those things. It's like, I wonder if there's been so many crimes behind the scenes and things like, I mean, first off, there's been crimes that aren't behind the scenes. Like everyone has seen it. That's why he got impeached. Um, but there's yeah. got to be a real lot quick more obstruction stuff. of justice, yeah. emoluments, clause violations, campaign yeah. finance, endless lying, obstruction, perjury, intimidation and witness intimidation, extortion for personal gain with your public position. Like, you can just go on and on. Well, I mean, if all those people at the top know this stuff has been going on and they're afraid a Democrats will come in and, and, you know, take over the Justice Department and start, you know, turning it on them. I mean, it's like, you know, the, you know, the upper Nazi command couldn't just, like, kill Hitler and say, our bad allies, hey, look, we got Hitler. Everything's cool now, right? Like, they still committed crimes, right? So, I mean, like... Um, Not to compare them to the Nazis or anything, but like if all those people are complicit in this stuff, they're probably hoping to get a pardon from Trump too. So we'll see what happens if, if Biden wins. It'll be really interesting to see how many pardons come out the door with them. Oh, I'm sure there will be so many pardons. And what we're going to see is, we're probably going to see, Trump's probably going to say, the media is so unfair, Democrats hate me for no reason, even though I'm the greatest president ever, so I'm just going to proactively impeach myself so they can't they can't make up more lies about me. And we'll finally see if a president can uh, impeach himself. Or not <laughs> impeach himself, I mean... Uh, 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 pardon himself because, yeah. um, really, the fact that even the matter- is like this isn't the state of New York probably just waiting with a bunch of sealed envelopes filled. Well, that's with, the uh, funny thing is he can, yeah, he can pardon himself for any crimes committed by the uh, federal government, but he can't be free from a state government <laughs> or yeah. the civil litigation. You know, um, I'm sure there might be some of that too. Yeah. Um, so talking about like the Democratic Senate. Um, what do you think, what's your favorite state to watch? Which do you think Democrats have the best chance to take? For the Senate? Yeah. Well, uh, I like that, uh, astronaut who's running in Arizona. I think, uh, he Mark would be... Kelly? Yeah, I think he, I mean, talk about just someone who would be good to have in the Senate, right? Let's have an astronaut who, um, uh, you know, has really advanced science degrees and, you know, is clearly a smart guy. Um, like... Putting someone in the Senate just like that, who's not just a partisan hack, I think is a good idea. And, and I would say that about, like, take a Republican who's not a partisan hack, but, like, let's say if there's a Republican who is an astronaut and, like, a veteran and with a bunch of advanced degrees, you know, and and maybe wasn't worth $30 million, like, I would, I would approve of that kind of person being in the Senate, too, you know? Yeah, I think there should be kind of a movement... It would be hard to do, obviously, and every state's different, and who runs and who doesn't. You know, it's all an individual case by case matter. But it would be nice if our Congress would start representing more of the body politic at large. You know, like why not have more teachers and firefighters run for office and yeah. just random jobs that aren't lawyers or you know just kind of ambitiously uh, uh, career like ambitious career politicians who. Really just kind of like the sweet life of, you know, having a giant, cushy, uh, powerful government position, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But it would be nice. And same thing, like, the average age of Congress is, I think, like, 58, I believe. And, like, obviously that is a little high. Maybe we should have more younger people represented. Um, Obviously women, it's like a quarter of Congress are women, even though women make up a slight majority of our population. Mm Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, I don't believe I even have to mention the racial, (laughs) the disproportionate racial component of white people that make up our Congress. Yeah. You know, it would be nice if like maybe, you know, it'd be cool to have some kind of like honorary position where it's like, why not just throw someone who like grew up in the ghetto to be in some kind of position to like give perspective on issues that these Millionaire 58 year old white people in Congress, you know, on average, have no clue about. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, what do you think about, like, term limits, then, to get some people who've been in there forever just out, and then, then I mean, if you have a finite amount of time, I mean, there's pros and cons to both sides of it, right, but I see if you have a finite amount of time, there might be, if you have one election left and you're a you know a member of the House, maybe you do actually stand up for your morals once in a while, because you say, fine, if I if I if I either lose this election or I can't run after next one, so I might as well, you know, actually stand up for my morals. Yeah, I'm conflicted on that. I don't know what to believe because I've heard very convincing arguments that when you reverse term limit or when you actually make term limits, that it actually invites more corruption because now you have people that aren't really experienced, and then they get into a giant body of Congress that you know you have or tr- like you know make the experience just generally go from like half to like one third or something because with like I- I've seen some studies that are maybe not studies but ideas that have like kind of considered the idea that when you actually get some of that maverick politicking when you have some guy that's been elected for like twenty five years and will be re-elected again no matter what. So it's almost like being a tenured professor where you can do weird stuff and what you think is really important in a way that you're you know, if you're you have that incumbency rate, you're you know, um you're kind of more secure to do things versus like if if there's term limits and every senator and representative can only serve, like, six or eight years or whatever it is. Uh, well, no, no. You, well, yeah, what about term limits? Like, let's say you can't do more than 30, well, like, in the Senate. After you win six times, Yeah, pounds. I guess, that, yeah, that's fair. So, yeah, something like that, yeah. Like, I don't think anyone would say you can only get six years total. Because I think, yeah, that would be right for corruption. And then, you know, the party would just shuffle people in and out. Um, But what I think, like, when you have people like, um, I, I heard an interesting quote, it was talking about how, like, people live so long in this day and age that, like, our country is still really beholden to, like, really weird morals and racial beliefs and, you know, like a lot of things like homophobia and racism is people who grew up in the 60s and 70s who are still alive and voting, you know what I mean? So like you, right. you have so many people who grew up in a world where like you did have black and white drinking fountains, and like they're not even that as old as you might think, right? These people aren't a hundred years old. You know what I mean? They're in their seventies, and you know they might still vote in another you know ten or twenty elections for all we know, um, which is an interesting thing to think about. Now obviously you know there's I don't have a policy prescription here. I'm not talking about killing old people or removing their their right to vote, but I mean the same thing goes for these people who've been in Congress for like, let's say 40 years, right? Like Mitch McConnell has been in the Senate or or Congress since like the 80s, right? That was when Reagan was president and, you know, Reagan's been dead for how many years now? I mean, isn't that a little strange, right? So that like the things that he cares about politically, you know, probably have nothing to do with the fact of how the country looks today. Right. Um, I mean, the fact that like, uh, you know, people of color, are, you know, quickly approaching, you know, overtaking the population of white people. And then you have these people who don't think police brutality is a problem. Like, that's got to be an issue in our politics, right? Yeah, I, I'm, we've talked about this before that Jefferson thought, like, 19 years was a generation and that every generation you should, like, kind of reinterpret and uh, re-advise and maybe rewrite your laws and constitution and uh, kind of governing documents and stuff like that. But I am very perceptive that I, to that idea that maybe, maybe we should look at that more as like a, a goal of kind of turnover. It's like 20 years because like it's 2020 now. Think about 2000, right? Like bubble pop, the internet was just getting started. Um, like Y2K, um, like global warming was just kind of entering its kind of acceptance in uh, culture, even from people who are like receptive to the idea of like helping Earth. Like just twenty years ago, it, like that's such a different time, right? Pre nine eleven. Like, yeah. why should we be still governing things accordingly? You know, to like, like, you know, why should Congress be much the same, or maybe not much the same, but you know, certainly it's. Uh, yeah, you you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> that was yeah. very articulate, but well, I mean, just think of it this way too. Like, imagine like AOC getting elected in 2018, right? Um, imagine her like doing a couple more terms in the house and then, you know, let's say Chuck Schumer retires and then she becomes New York Senator. Right. And then imagine AOC like still being a Senator in 2050, you know what I mean? Like 30 years from now or 2060, you know what I mean? Like as a 73, 74, 75 year old, uh, you know, Senator who's been in Congress since 2018. Isn't that a little strange? um now you know there's pros and cons but like i don't know i just think like uh you know when the country is already so slow to change politically just and and then you the fact that you have like you know i don't know even what i'm saying here but like you have like an issue as contentious as any of the issues we have today and like imagine that same issue what about like internet internet privacy and stuff yeah the fuck is like chuck grassley You know, and some of these other dinosaurs, like, in in the Senate and the House, like, what do they understand about, like, contemporary internet culture and uh, practices and methods and businesses and stuff like that? Like, I mean, yeah, you can hold hearings and stuff like that, but, I mean, just... And think about, too, like, let's say let's say a state has two senators that are both, like, 78 years old, right? Mm-hmm. Now, theoretically, you, they could both retire in the same year and both be replaced by two 35-year-olds. Now, Now, when you look at a change like that of two senators from, you know, 80 years old to 35 years old, that state now is basically an entirely different state in terms of its Senate representation, don't you think? Oh, they yeah. have that like literally forty-five year like gap just completely uh, kind of skipped over. Yeah, and granted, obviously that's the future of America as a bunch of thirty-five year olds. You know, as these eighty-year-olds are dying, uh, you know, just natural deaths according to uh, the mortality of the human race. Uh, <laughs> but I, I definitely think that that like. It should be a goal that we look at some of these, like, median things, like the median age of America, the median income, the median education level. And we should be uh, idealistically more governed by people closer to the median of all of these things rather than being governed by what is increasingly becoming, like, a hyper minority of, like, really old, really rich, really white Christian men, essentially, you know? The, like the country just should not uh look so much like a uh like a boys uh gentlemen's club like golf club from like the 1960s or something you know yeah i mean that's a good point um one way to another way i just thought of thinking of it is like think of what decade all our presidents have been born in right so you know from George H.W. Bush, well, I should say from Reagan to George H.W. Bush, they were the early 1900s, right? But then you have yeah. Bill Clinton and George W. Bush, you know, 16 years of presidents who were born in the 1940s, right? Then you have Obama, uh, eight years of Obama, who's born in the 60s. And now with Trump, we go back to someone who was born in the 40s. Like, isn't that a little weird? That we have the next president was born, you know, some 20 years before (laughs) the the president before him, who was there for eight years. And now, I mean, yeah, I mean, with Biden, too, we're going to another, you know, if he wins or if Trump gets reelected, we're still going to be led by people who were born in the 40s, which is kind of weird. Yeah. And you look at like the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, I think it's 80. Mitch McConnell Mm -hmm. is like 79. Yeah, Joe Biden's 78. Trump is, like, what, 75, 6 or something? Yeah, Bernie Chuck Sanders Schumer's 69. The main, yeah, the main competitor to Joe Biden was like, 78 years old or whatever, like, Bernie is. <laughs> yeah. 74, whatever he is. Um, it's really weird. Like, do you think it's, like, a fluke that it happened like this, or is this, like, a systemic thing? Uh, I guess Obama was kind of an outlier. Like, the last time it was a major generational change was Bill Clinton, Yeah, right. Because you went from like kind of like the World War II generation to the baby baby boomer generation. Yeah, but again, it's like our our politics and just the way power and money and influence accrues. Like it's just white, old, rich white people. You know. Yeah. But uh, anyway, (laughs) yeah. Um, Any any uh, we're we're almost at an hour now. Uh, Any more thoughts on Trump and his polls and things like that? We've well, a little bit of a rabbit hole, but well, I mean, you know, it's kind of funny years. so Trump is really doubling down mm-hmm. on tackling, you know, the military people. He's ridiculed uh, Colin Powell after Colin Powell said he'd vote for uh, yeah. Biden, which is kind of funny. Right. Um and George then he, w. Bush said it too, I believe. I think he was saying something. Oh, really? I mean, I, what I can't wait for is like the October surprises at the the Lincoln Group and um the Lincoln Project, I should say, and then like all like Michael Cohen has a book coming out like that can't be good for, you know, American <laughs> yeah, right. voters are myopic, but I hope like Michael Cohen's book comes out like a week before the election because like people will remember stuff for a week before they start to forget political things. <laughs> I mean, Michael Cohen's yeah. probably got some juicy tidbits about stuff Trump's done. Since he was well, leaving. I mean, Trump supporters just think Michael Cohen's lying, and he's just doing it for money himself and self uh, Oh, well, awesome Biden's now. There's forty-three percent of the voters who Biden's not going to get by any means, but it's at like six percent of um, uh, independents in the middle, right? That can really right. swing the election big. Yeah, that's all you really need. Um, yeah. And if the economy continues to kind of crater, like, Trump is really, really screwed. I don't know. if Let's say the economy starts getting really good, though. Maybe there's not a second wave. Do you think then a lot of voters and independents give Trump the benefit of the doubt that he knows what he's doing on the economy? Well, I'm not sure that there won't be, like, a second wave of COVID, if that's what you mean. I think, I think there is going to be a second wave of COVID. It's almost, like, unavoidable, right? You have a lot of people who are going to go back out into public. And like, it's going to happen. And I think this is going to be an easy target for Biden to keep hitting Trump on because Trump is going to, you know, Trump at some point when they start opening up is going to say, we did it. We beat, or I did it. I beat COVID. You're welcome. And then like, we're going to have that second wave and it's going to make him look really bad. Just like everything else he tweets. Yeah. I also think it's stupid that first off Trump gets that kind of like net positive grade on the economy I think voters tell pollsters still to this day that, like, they trust Trump more with the economy, which I think is just completely undeserved. It's preposterous. Like, his whole business career was filled with fraud and lawsuits. Cheating and, people. Like, primi- yeah, cheating people. Um, like, he's done no major trade deals. He hasn't done anything. He's ripped up a bunch of, like, international treaties and deals that have made us less secure, stable, respected, and loved around the world. Like, it just makes no sense that Trump gets positive grades. Yeah. But, I mean, I guess just the average American voter doesn't really read the news every day. Like, <laughs> well, either, it, re- you know? <laughs> it really doesn't make sense why people, like, think Trump is smart. To me, that is the, the most transparent thing in the mm. world, that Trump is just not smart. When you hear him talk, I don't see how people hear that. Like, when you talked about, like, the couple hundred or thousand voters he loses a day, I I have to imagine that every time people go hear him talk in public, there has to be some people who just go, oh, God, like, oh, man, I've made a mistake. (laughs) This guy's like a, like if you don't watch like CNN or any of the other, like maybe you only watch Fox news, but if you go hear him talk, like I I like to, I I like to hope that there are some people, rational people who go there and just think to themselves, like what is this man talking about? Holy cow. Yeah. Or see his like full interviews on Fox news. Yeah. Like how do you watch those? And it's, I don't know. We're at the weird point where it's basic. It's. I've written about this, but it's almost like Republicans have, like, warped their brains because, like, Bill Clinton was largely good and they tried to ruin him and were unsuccessful. And then W. Bush got elected and basically ruined everything and squandered, like, the massive opportunity to be, like, a wildly transformative, like, amazing president after 9-11 and stuff and squandered it with terrible foreign policy decisions and Squandered the budget surplus. (laughs) Right. And so even in 2006, 2007 and eight, where you have like 30% of Republicans that it's like the same thing with Trump, <clears throat> there's a certain uh, percentage of Republicans who will just never believe or say anything bad about a Republican president. Yeah. And then in between Bush and Trump being bad, but like always being touted as brilliant, you had Obama who was an actually good, calm, uh, un- like uh, unifying leader who just got no respect, and so it's, like, this, it's this weird paradigm where it's, like, thinking Clinton was, like, the worst ever, thinking Bush was the best ever, thinking Obama was the worst ever, and Trump is the best ever, like, all of the loops you've had to do to excuse all of their, like, obvious scandals and crimes and just, like, terrible decisions and, like, thinking processes... Uh, like it really has just evolved into like a cultural persecution complex where now it's like just Trump is on your side and the Democrats are so bad that you will willfully tell pollsters that you would rather Russia like take control than Democrats get, you know, electoral power. It, yeah, it's, just, it's literally a persecution complex, like with a, within a cultural uh, frame of mind. Where the fact that you'd rather, uh, that if if Trump, it said it was important to do it. You would be okay with postponing the 2020 election. Yeah. I mean, that makes but, then, no sense. but then again, you get a Democratic president that comes in and says any of these things that Trump has said. And you get, you know, suddenly the small government type uh, zealots remember, oh, yeah, I'm for small government. And now we have a Democratic president. And I hate this. Yeah. <laughs> right oh well uh, I mean, you mentioned what was the idea you mentioned a while ago you were saying that like biden should biden's campaign should just like tw- have an account where they tweet out a lot of the crazy shit that trump has tweeted and see how republicans respond to it oh you yeah know? all you yeah. did is change the name or whatever and just see how yeah like completely flip-floppity floppity, uh flip-floppity they respond to it yeah, the, the Bi- I think the Biden campaign, if they win, they should make the White House Twitter account just repeat everything Trump said on that day. Like, they shouldn't flood the airwaves because that'd be just obnoxious like Trump is. But what yeah. they should do is just take one tweet that Trump posted every day on that day in his presidency and just flip it around. So if it's about the the crooked media, they should just make it about Fox News. If it's about... Obama, they should just make it about Trump. You know what I mean? And it would just—it would be comedy. Yeah. It would be so funny. And then you'd have like maybe Fox. we should do that. Yeah, maybe we should start an account and do that just for fun. <laughs> it would be uh, fun. Yeah, because like li- the way Trump, like, it's so dumb. Like to believe that Obama was divisive and Trump is this great unifier is like just perfect proof you're racist and an idiot. Because like Trump uses his Twitter to like. Just call out liberal states of being filled with, like, enemies of the state and horrible, the worst people, subhuman people. <clears throat> like, can you imagine Obama, like, saying Alabama is filled with a bunch of fuck hillbillies that, sh- you know, that shouldn't have any, like, that should barely be in America or be considered humans? Well, no, you no, can see Trump, that. Trump gets you, away with that. Yeah, you can see that because uh, Republican and Trump supporters still put deplorable... On their like gear, you know, yeah. they brag about being deplorable because they were so offended that Hillary Clinton would say that. Yeah, it's actually present now. Remember when uh, Obama said that people cling to guns and Bibles? Yeah. <laughs> now I, I think you can clearly see the clinging to guns right now going on with all this uh like covid stuff in these democratic states doing these quarantines you know? well know and clinging to the bible for that photo oh, op yeah, yeah. right <laughs> coming out of the base the, the basement uh, bunker of the white house <laughs> well you know what's funny is Trump can you imagine how sad it must have been for him to just you know take time out of his day for that routine uh fire alarm test down in the bunker and then to come up and see all these protesters What's well, the funny thing is Biden said that, uh, or someone was saying that uh, when Obama was president, he never went in the bunker. And he said that if he ever had to, he'd probably just send the vice president up there in case something went wrong. But that he would want to stay with the people in a, in a true disaster, which really just tells you the the degree of difference between him and Trump, right? Because yeah. Trump, Trump was in no danger, right? I mean, at all. There were protesters outside, but the Secret Service has a lot of guns. Uh, you know, they will shoot people trying to storm into the White House. Uh, You know, they probably won't if it's a couple individuals, but, like, there are, like, tanks nearby. Like, there is a military presence nearby just in case, right? Trump is not in danger sitting in the White House. So the fact that he had to go to the bunker, even if, like, they were warning him to, like, I can't, like... (laughs) I mean, think of, like, the breakup of the Soviet Union and uh, Boris Yeltsin became famous because he, you know, had a chance to escape. Um, and hide when he was surrounded by those protesters outside of the, uh, like, the diplomat building he was. And then, you know, he became famous for going out with the protesters and getting on top of that tank. And then you flip that, like— You know, say what you will about Boris Yeltsin, but that really catapulted his career in ways that, you know, Trump hasn't seen. But Trump, you know, instead of doing that, Trump went down into a bunker. Like, that's just, you know, just politicking 101, right? If you have the chance to do something crazy, like, and get the support of the people like that, most politicians you would think would try to do that. But Trump went and hid in a bunker. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's a, definitely a good image. I saw juxtaposing um, Obama going over that bridge. I think in that like Selma celebration or whatever on the anniversary. Yeah. Like, you know, people riot like you know protesting about like brutality and injustice and things like that. And Obama's like walking across the bridge, literally in a giant crowd of people holding his arm. You know, like shoulder to shoulder, arm to arm, interlocking. That's and my point, the, yeah. Politicians the picture do that of stuff Trump like walking down the street alone surrounded <laughs> by guards, just, yeah. you know, like next to like smoke plumes from gassing uh, protesters and just like beating them out of the way so Trump can <laughs> hold a, a Bible upside down and backwards as if it's something he's never touched before, <laughs> you know. Well Donald Trump is trying to take like the uh, the the offices Michael Scott kind of approach to leadership, right? Saying that I want people to be terrified of how much they love me. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, what a dumb, right? (laughs) Um, Yeah, gosh. Well, I think, uh, yeah, that's a good point for now. Yeah. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to Brain Milk Podcast. My name is Dash McIntyre, and I'm Adrian Poke. Follow us on the Halfway Post and on Twitter. Yep, enjoy the guitar song.